0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and
1: its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org.
0: Several upcoming events, the uh, sheet that you hold in hand, we actually ran out of those, uh, but... If you have a kindergartner through fifth grader and you're out there, there's an opportunity for them to participate in a kids' Christmas choir. Uh, this is also on our website, so you can go there, and there's an opportunity for them to participate. Uh, secondly, Out to Lunch is an event for women that takes place the first Wednesday of every month. Happens this Wednesday, Christmas, Out to Lunch. Uh, $5 will get you lunch and also a time of reflection on the Christmas season. Two of the things we do every year at Christmas time, we help local families out who are in need. Uh, We get 32 families from uh, the surrounding school districts as well as churches touching lives. For Christ, it's an opportunity for us to respond to those in need. Their table set out to my right, to your left, and you exit uh, out those doors. The other thing we do every year is participate in Project Angel Tree. Project Angel Tree is providing gifts for the sons and daughters of men and women who are incarcerated. And so it's an opportunity to provide gifts for kids who would not receive gifts otherwise. And uh, so we'll be doing those uh, this coming uh, Christmas season. Mark chapter six, Mark Chapter eight, we continue our study of the journey as we look at a message I've entitled A Feast to Remember. Mark chapter six, beginning in verse thirty. Why don't we do something a little different? Why don't you stand with me as we read God's Word? And the apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a lonely place and rest awhile. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. And they went away in the boat to a lonely place to themselves, and the people saw them going, and many recognized them, and they ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. So the disciples are worn out. Jesus says, let's get away, and uh, the people follow them to wherever they are. And when he went ashore, he saw a great multitude, and he felt compassion. If you're writing your Bibles, you might underline the word compassion. We'll see it here and also in chapter 8. He felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He began to teach them many things. And when it was already quite late, his disciples came to him saying, The place is desolate, it is quite late. Send them away so they may go in the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and spend 200 denarii in bread and give them something to eat? And he said, How many loaves do you have? Go and look. And when they found out, they said, We have five loaves and two fish. And he commanded them all to recline by groups in the green grass. They reclined in companies of hundreds and fifties. And he took the five loaves and two fish and looked up to heaven. And he blessed the food and broke the loaves. And he kept giving them to the disciples who sat before them. And he divided up the two fish among them. And they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces and also the fish, and there were 5,000 men who ate the loaves on that day. 5,000 men, so if you include families, probably up to 7,500, 10,000 people. That's the feeding of the 5,000. Then you fast forward to Mark chapter 8, and we have what's called the feeding of the 4,000. Very similar setting the multitude has been with christ beginning in verse one for three days they had nothing to eat he called the disciples and said i felt could feel compassion for them they've been with me for three days and the solution to the disciples was send them away and uh, christ says no we'll feed them and if you look at verse five he was asking them how many loaves do you have they said seven directed the multitude to sit in the ground broke the loaves gave thanks and he fed the multitude in verse seven they also had a few small fish they blessed them and ordered them to be served as well they ate were satisfied and they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over, of broken pieces, and about 4,000 were there and he sent them away. So 4,000 fed, seven baskets left over, 5,000 fed, 12 baskets left over. What's the significance of two feedings and the number of baskets left? I don't really know. You don't know, so why don't we just go home? How's that? (laughs) You know better than that. We're going to take a shot at it, okay? And we're going to see what we can understand from this passage. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for this Thanksgiving weekend. Thank you for life. And as we look into the Word, would you teach us? Would you shed light upon it? Would you uh, help us to see the majesty of our Savior as it displays his power? We pray in his name. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> I apologize for the sounds coming from up here cough and cold and everything else. So. Away we go. I love Thanksgiving. It's a time to remember the Father, a time to enjoy family, a time to enjoy food, a time to enjoy football, and then more family, more food, and more football. Amen? It's a great time. How many of you gobbled until you wobbled over the week? There you go. Some of you can't get your arms up because they're too tight on your blouses and shirts. One lady said this about Thanksgiving. She said, I decided I'd sign up for an exercise class. I knew I'd have a problem after Thanksgiving. And uh, they sent me a notice and said if I had loose-fitting clothing to wear them, I wouldn't have signed up for the class in the first place if I had loose-fitting clothing. This is an amazing story, two stories, two miracles. The meals we had this week at our home were absolutely amazing. But the meals that Jesus provided were even more amazing in the way he provided them. I mean, the way he provided them is absolutely amazing. Ladies, you would have loved it. A feast for thousands and no cooking. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's that's something to celebrate right there, isn't it? And so what we see is that the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 are miracles that teach us primarily about our Savior, but also about the disciples and about us. begins with us seeing the compassion of Christ on display. The compassion of Christ on display. The whole scenario begins back in uh, verse 30 when it says, The apostles gathered together with Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. What had they done and what had they taught? Well, if you back up in the, in the early in the chapter, Jesus had commissioned disciples. He sent them out, and it says in verse 12, They went out and preached that men should repent. Verse 13, They were casting out many demons, anointing with oil many sick people, and healing them. And so the disciples had gone out, and they'd seen the power of Christ on display through them. And so now they came back, and it's time to report, and it's time to debrief. And they're telling Christ everything that has happened. They're they're reminiscing over the ministry that has just taken place. They're rejoicing in in what what they've seen and in God's goodness. And so they're given this report. Jesus looks at them, and he says, "Uh, you're tired, aren't you? Come away by yourselves to a desolate place. Actually, if you look at verse 31, verse 32, and verse 35, depending on the translation that you have, it either says a desolate place, a lonely place, a quiet place, or a solitary place. In the Greek language, it means somewhere between Lubbock and Amarilla. I mean, it's a place of desolation. we've got to get apart before we come apart. Can you relate to that? I mean, we've got to get apart before we come apart. Life has been so busy. In fact, he said, it's so busy, the end of verse 31, that they did not even have time to eat. I cannot relate to that. I've never been so busy I haven't had time to eat. But but these guys are so busy with the ministry that God has given them that they're worn out, and Jesus says, we've got to get away. We need a little R&R. He says, guys, come away with me by yourselves, verse 2, and let's rest for a while. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? After a full Thanksgiving weekend with Christmas uh, staring you down the gun barrel, New Year's right after that, some of you say life is too busy. Life is too busy. Let me remind you of what Chuck Swindoll says about that. Busyness rapes relationships. It substitutes shallow frenzy for deep friendship. It promises satisfying dreams but delivers hollow nightmares. It feeds the ego but starves the inner man. It fills a calendar but fractures a family. It cultivates a program but plows under priority. Some of you are so busy. So busy that you don't even have time for the Father. You're busier than God wants you to be. Why? Why? Why are you so busy? Why? If anything, the last several months has done in my life, it's caused me to stop and reflect why I do certain things. And to trim the calendar up, son. And to recognize we all have so many breaths, however that many may be, and we need to prioritize those things. I lived a life... Fairly filled with priorities already, but even more so now. And the reality of it is busyness can rape a relationship. It was Socrates who said, beware of the barrenness of a busy life. If you're that busy, why? Henry Nouwen had a Ph.D. from Harvard, a Ph.D., I think, from Yale, or one of the Ivy League schools, dual Ph.D.s. Towards the end of his life, he decided he would go and live in the community of La Arc is a community for mentally challenged adults. He decided he would go there and become a caretaker. He became the caretaker of a young man named Robert. Robert had a vocabulary of less than a 100 words. One day, when who was busy writing books and traveling to engagements and studying and researching and meeting with people, found himself frazzled because he was so busy. He said, here is Robert with the vocabulary of less than 100 words, and he noticed how frazzled I was one day. And he looked at me, and he said, busy? And then he did what people like Robert often do. He came even closer. He invaded my space. You know people like that? They invade your space, get a little too close. They get kind of, you know, where they're not supposed to get, and you, you immediately want to back off. And he said, Robert got nose-to-nose with me. And he asked again, "Busy?" And I responded, "Yes, Robert, I'm too busy." And now, and with his PhDs and all of his engagements, this man who could speak less than a hundred words said, "I'm looking Robert in the eye, and I've just said I'm too busy." And he looked back at me and he said, "Henry, why? Why?" Why do we fill our calendars the way we do? Why why do we have to feel like we need to prove to ourselves that we're somebody? Why is it that we have to seek to earn God's approval in some way? Why is it we have to seem important by having calendars that are filled to the brim? Why? Well, Christ looks at the disciples and said, you guys are tired, you need to get away, let's go to a lonely place. So they get in the boat, and the one thing that happens is wherever Jesus goes, people want to find him. And we need to ask ourselves that question, do we go seeking after Jesus? Because they sought after Jesus and disciples, they get to the other side, there's a great multitude already there waiting for him in this desolate location. And note two things about this. First of all, Jesus had compassion. He had compassion. He had a desire to reach out to these people. Jesus was one who always had compassion on the people around them. Jesus cared for the people he ministered to. He loved the people he ministered to. He reached out to the people he ministered to. to. To only be a teacher of the word was not enough, but to be one who loved and cared for his people combined with it. Now, Jesus was teaching, and he wasn't real concerned about the time. I mean, he's preaching and preaching and preaching, and time kind of gets away. In fact, in the Gospel of uh, John, it it says, uh, well, in Mark, it also says, I have compassion for the people. So he has compassion not only in Mark 6, but also in 8. But in John's Gospel, it says, as evening approached. So evening, the word there is referring to the late hour. It's somewhere between 3 and 6 o'clock. To put it in today's term, he preached through the first afternoon ball game, and he's getting ready to preach into the second one. I I, I mean, he's preaching away. And uh, time kind of gets away from them all, and everybody's hungry. They're in this remote place, and it's getting late. And he says, or the disciples say, send the crowds away. Uh, they've got to go find some food. And so the disciples begin to complain. Jesus has compassion. The disciples begin to complain. We're tired. We're hungry. We've got to do something. Something's got to happen. Somebody has to tell Jesus, let's go and get the people where they can buy some food. This past week, as I was uh, studying, I ran across a uh, film clip from a guy named Robert Morris. Morris is a pastor somewhere up in the Midwest. And uh, he uses a little sanctified imagination to talk about the outworking of this scenario, feeding the 5,000. He sets up a scenario where the disciples encounter Christ and how this might have taken place. See if you uh, uh, can see his humor, but also how this could have unfolded.
1: It's getting late. So here's what I think happened. I think the disciples formed a little committee, because that's kind of what we do. We, we form little teams, you know. And so I think they kind of gathered up and said, man, what are we going to do? And I, I think one of them said, I'm starving to death. I'm about, I'm about to die if I don't get something to eat soon. I mean, who would have thought that God would go all day, you know? <laughs> and then one of them probably said, hey, hey, that's a good idea. What's a good idea? Starving to death. Let's tell him that the people are hungry. Because he seems to care about the people. <laughs> he doesn't care much about us, but he does care about the people. So then you get elected as the spokesperson, okay? So Jesus up to preaching. I want you to see this in your mind. Big crowd. And so you, you say, uh, excuse me, Lord. Excuse me. Excuse me. Uh, Lord, uh, we, we've been talking. Oh, and by the way, mm, this has been good today. I tell you, this, is, this has been good uh this uh series of messages that you're bringing all in one day uh, this is really I tell you this is really good uh but at, we we were thinking that the people might be getting hungry, and uh now us we could go all night. I tell you that's how good this we could just keep right on going but we 're outside of town, and the restaurants are going to be closing soon, so we 're thinking that you should go ahead and dismiss the service and 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 let the people go so jesus says you 're concerned about the people you 're in this little group over here you all are concerned about the people yes sir we 're concerned about the people because they 're hungry, right yes, sir and then i don 't if you have ever noticed this verse thirteen, but he said to them, "You give them something to eat, excuse me." Well, you said you're you're in your group over there. You're concerned about the people. You give them something to eat. Okay, now you got to go back and report to the committee. (laughs) um, And then so they say. Well, did you tell them people are hungry? (laughs) I did. I told them that. Well, what did he say? (laughs) For us to give them something to eat. (laughs) What? He said for us to give them something. What? And then there's this little kid that snuck back in town is walking by, got a long John Silver sack, you know, it's just <laughs> open it up, it's got two pieces of fish and five biscuits. <laughs> and the kid like biscuits, he got extra biscuits. And so you say, Man, look, look, this is all we have. That's it. That's what we'll tell him. We'll tell him this is all we have, he'll dismiss the service. Right. Wouldn't that what you think? Yeah. Right. So you're the spokesperson. Jesus Excuse me, Excuse me. Uh, Lord. You know, a moment ago we were, uh, you know, at, about the, you know, the and about the, you know, you and I were talking, and uh, you said for, you know, us, uh, you know, to give them something, to eat, and uh, we, we've been working on that, and um, we we have uh, two two pieces of fish and we have five rolls and uh, that's all we have. So so we think that you ought to go ahead and dismiss the service. She said, okay, you have two fish and you have five rolls, right? Uh, yes. Okay, have them sit down in groups of 50. Excuse me? Yeah, yeah, have them sit down in groups of 50. Um, Lord, uh, we, we, we don't have a lot of these snack packs. We, we have one. Just, we, this is this, this all we have. We, we just have one. This this it, Lord. And we only have half of a roll now because Peter ate some of it over there. I tried to stop him.
0: You know, sometimes we're so removed from the scene that we don't think about how some of these things would happen, do we? I mean, imagine if said, divide him up in the 50s and sit down. We're going to feed him off of this snack package." Did you hear that? Really. You know, as this unfolded, there are a couple of things that went through my mind. As we look at the compassion of Christ, the complaint of the disciples, we move to the provision of the Savior a couple of things went through my mind. Dividing up that crowd, you see, first of all, you ever try and control, you know, up to 7,000, 10,000 people? No sound system? Dividing them up into 50s and 100s? Can you imagine what that had to be like? Kids running around everywhere? Uh, you imagine, I mean, these are Jewish people. You, you imagine dad saying, hey, you're not going to tell me where to sit. And mama saying, hey, we're going to sit towards the front and make sure our kids get some food. There's not much of it. And then the disciples come back for more and more and more and more and Jesus provides a meal for the masses in fact they ate verse 42 and were satisfied it's like after Thanksgiving dinner this week all you wanted and they were full in fact they were so full there were 12 baskets left over for them what's the significance of 12? so each disciple could have a doggy bag? (laughs) not quite Jewish mind heard 12, all of a sudden they knew this represented Israel, the 12 tribes. So here's Jesus providing for them 12 baskets left over, the bread of life. That's what he's called in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, through this whole discourse, when he provides for the 5,000. The bread of life can fill to abundance and feed to abundance the entire nation. Here's a Savior who miraculously provides, and he can provide everything that is needed. You know, one of the other things that I have to question, my or question I have is, where was Judas in all this? I, I mean, Judas was there passing out the loaves and the fish. Can, can you imagine as he would reflect back on this time, Judas not only saw the miracle, he participated in the miracle. And yet even participation in the miracle, he's one of the guys that came back and gave a report of what it was like to preach and cast out demons and heal people. And, and yet that, that Judas is part of that group, and yet he never believed. There are those who say, if I could see a miracle today, I'd believe. No, you wouldn't necessarily. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. In fact, when Thomas doubts the resurrected Christ, he says, if only I can see, if only I can touch. And in John 20, Christ comes in the present and he sees those nail scored hands and he sees that wounded side. Jesus says, Blessed are you, Thomas. And then he says, Blessed are those who do not see yet believe. That's us. We've not physically seen, but we do believe. Well, Jesus feeds the 5,000, there are 12 baskets left and those baskets are filled. Then he goes and he feeds the 4,000. Well, here's what's interesting about feeding the 4,000. In Mark chapter 7 it says, Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre, went through the Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of Decapolis. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot to us regarding the geography of Israel, unless you studied it in detail, but we've seen the word Decapolis before. You see, I preached a sermon a couple of weeks ago, many of you are here, called Stormy Encounters. It was a day when the disciples were tired. Jesus took them out on the sea, and, and there was a storm, and Jesus quiets a storm. He had the twins, you remember that story, the wind and the waves, and he calms them both down. And then as soon as they hit the seashore, they're met with a second stormy encounter, and that second stormy encounter was a man filled with demons. They called them a legion of demons. And if you remember, Jesus cast those demons out. He cast them into what? Pigs. And they ran off the cliff and they died. Now, we told you that uh, the pigs were there in that region. Jews wouldn't have anything to do with pigs. It was a Gentile region. And in that Gentile region, what we found is that that's where Christ was when he was going to rest with the disciples on that day. And it was called the region of the Genseris as well as Decapolis, the ten cities. Deca, ten, Paula's city. Remember that? The region of the Gentiles. So Christ comes to feed the 4,000. The scenario is a little different. There are liberal scholars who would say, ah, it's just the church writing much later, and they get confused with the numbers and what happened, and they're trying to embellish Christ. No, he's not. As Mark recalls through Peter's eyes, I believe, the miracles of Christ, there was a the feeding of the 5,000, and later the feeding of the 4,000. was a different place, a different location, with a different number of people with a different number of food, different things of food provided. When they finish, there are seven baskets left over. In the Gentile region, seven baskets left over, seven the number of perfection or completion. I I think one of the teachings from this can easily be Christ is the bread of life, not only for the Jew, but also for the Gentile. You can be filled full to good to full. You can be filled full, and you don't need to search anywhere else for the bread of life. In fact, when you look at these two miracles, there are a number of things that come out of that number of things that apply to us out of these miracles. First of all, we see the authenticity of the messenger and his message on display. Christ performs the miracles. He creates this food. He doesn't create ex nihilo out of nothing. He takes a little bit that's been given, and he creates over and over and over again. And so we see the power of Christ on display as the one who is the ultimate force of the universe. But more than just showing the power of Christ, he's already demonstrated that in stilling storms and healing lepers and casting out demons. I think this was an instructive moment for the disciples. Because if you look at chapter 6, where we are, the the next section is walking on water, which we'll look at after the Christmas holidays. But if you drop down to verse 52, it it says, They had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. He said they should have known better. Another the storm comes up and they didn't trust that he would take care of them, and he said, Ha they didn't learn from the incident that had just taken place. They didn't learn from that. Then you fast forward to chapter eight. And in chapter eight we see once again him referring to the same episode, the same scenario. In verse fourteen, they had forgotten to take bread with them. They didn't have more than one loaf in the boat. So the disciples are back in a boat and they're headed out and they don't have anything to eat. And he was giving orders to them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. So, so here they are, they're in a boat, and the disciples say, we're hungry, we're getting hungry again. Who brought the bread? Nobody's hand goes up. No, who bought the bread? Nobody brought the bread. And so Jesus tells them, not about physical bread, but about spiritual bread. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and beware of the leaven of Herod. But what do they do in verse 16? They keep talking about who brought the bread. There's no bread to eat. Jesus said, why do you discuss these things about bread? Don't you understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Don't you remember, verse 19, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full were broken? And when I broke the seven for the 7,000, how many baskets did we pick up? And he looks at them and says, boys, don't you understand? Don't you understand that when I'm with you and when I send you out, I'm going to supply everything. And that when you live in this world, you get the bread of life who supplies for every craving, you might have boys don't you understand who I am don't you understand those things and I believe Jesus displays these miracles to teach the disciples and us that he's always enough he's always enough in John 6 the parallel passage after the feeding of the 5,000 Jesus declared I am the bread of life whoever comes to me will never hunger And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So when the struggles of life come your way and temptation comes your way and when you wrestle with emptiness and when you wrestle with cravings of the flesh and you want to pursue the pleasures of the flesh and when you desire to win a fight or an argument over anything else, Jesus says, I'm enough. I'm enough. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? If the bread of life will fill every one of our cravings, why do we turn to other things instead of Him? Why do we try and satisfy those cravings with another shopping trip? Or another vacation? Or another drink? Or another snort? Or another toke? Or another lewd picture on the internet. How do we think those things will somehow fulfill our cravings? When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, I will provide everything that you need. As human beings, our greatest need is to know the Lord. We can deny it, suppress it, try to substitute something for it. But deep within us lies a hunger that can be satisfied only when the Lord himself, only with the Lord himself, until we have him. We can never be satisfied. See, some of you have cravings right now that are out of control. Out of control. Sexual cravings that you're seeking to satisfy outside of marriage. Either premaritally, extramaritally. Some of you have cravings for power and control. You'll do anything to be right and to not look bad. Some of you have cravings of you fill in the blank and there it is. There it is. Christ provides for the masses. What you see is an impossibility. I mean, it's an impossibility that's conquered. You ever meet an impossibility? I I mean, something you think, this will never happen. That prodigal will never come home. This relationship will never be mended. This struggle will never be overcome. That group of people will never, you fill in the blank. An impossibility. This week I received two emails from two different couples. I was so grateful. Both of them reminded me and said, Pastor Gary, you remember a year ago. You remember a year ago entering the Thanksgiving season. We didn't feel like our marriage would make it. Two different couples. But by God's grace, we celebrate Thanksgiving together. You see, a year ago, those two couples sat in my office independently, One another. Two different scenarios, two different couples, two different families, two different settings. And they thought it was an impossibility that God could spare their marriage. And yet this week they gathered around the table celebrating God's goodness. What's the impossibility you've given up on? In Jeremiah 32, 17, it says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. There is nothing... Too hard for me. Some of you quit trusting God to overcome that impossibility. They're impossibilities. You watched football yesterday? Auburn won. Did you see that? That was an impossibility. Those things happen at times. In the spiritual life, they happen through Jesus. They happen through Jesus. Nothing is too hard from him interesting to me in the context that we look at in the previous context we just saw john the baptist beheaded at a banquet by herod john the, herod threw a banquet it was in a palace christ threw a banquet it was outside in the open air herod threw a palace he invited special guests it says in mark chapter 6 i think that's verse 35 christ invited or christ says anyone can come to this table and eat Herod, it was a strategic plan for Herod. It says in the previous section that we looked at in Mark, it says in verse 21, a strategic day came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his large military leaders and the leading men of Galilee. So he, he's had a strategic thing. Jesus was moved by compassion for those he's around. You see the difference between our king and that king? Between our king and that king? Well, after Christ fed the 5,000, an interesting thing happened. In the Gospel of John, it says this. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Jesus fed the masses, the 5,000. They said, he's our king. We're going to follow him. He provides us with food. He does miracles. He casts out demons. We're going to follow him. In fact, we're going to make him king right now. Satan had made that same offer to Jesus. You can be king. You can have all the kingdoms that I have. But Christ knew it was a temptation. In this incredible moment, after feeding 5,000 people, they planned to make Jesus king. And it spread to the crowd. You can hear him chanting, he's our king, he's our king. And they want to lift him on their shoulders like some victorious coach. But Jesus knew that the pathway... The pathway chosen by the Father was not the pathway on the red carpet of Satan nor on the shoulders of those he had just fed, but the pathway was up the stony rocks on Calvary's hillside. And that the bread of life had to be broken if men and women were to be fed. And so Jesus, when he hears the accolades of the people and "Let's make him king, he withdraws because he knew he had to do, not his will but the will of the Father. Our compassionate Savior provides for us abundantly. Abundantly. Come unto me all you. who are weak and heavy laden. I'll give you rest, he says. I'm the bread of life. If you hunger, I'll fill you. I am the water, the living water. If you're thirsty, I'll give you a drink. Worship team, would you guys come up? And as we look at this passage, what we see in the teaching of the 5,000 and 4,000 is Jesus not only proves who he is, but he demonstrates that he is capable for caring for all people at all times, providing them with everything that's needed. And if he did that for them, he can do it for you. And he wants to do it, if you'll let him. This week, I was preparing for this and thinking through it, I saw on some lady's blog... She wrote, I'm thankful for the mess to clean up after Thanksgiving dinner because it means I've been surrounded by friends and family. I'm thankful for the clothes that fit a little too snugly because it means I've had plenty to eat. I'm thankful for the spot that I found at the far end of the parking lot on Black Friday because it meant I'm capable of walking. I look forward to hearing the lady behind me in church sing a little off key because it means I can still hear. And on Monday, I look forward to doing the pile of laundry after my family has left because it it means to me that my loved ones have been nearby. This morning when the alarm went off to go to church, I was giving God thanks because it meant that I'm still alive. Your abundant Savior, your Savior wants to provide for you abundantly because of his compassion and care. Will you let him? Bev and I will be in the back. We'd love to pray with you over anything in your life that you're struggling with, dealing with, need prayer for. Doesn't matter what it is. We'll pray for you. The song we're going to sing talks about shouting about our Savior because of who he is. We're going to shout and scream it from the mountains because he is God. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Savior. Thank you for him who gave his life on our behalf. Thank you that eternal life and eternal hope was found in him and him alone. And Father, we're grateful. We're grateful that our Savior came and offered himself so that we could eat of the bread that he offers. If you're here today and you're not sure if Jesus is your Savior, I invite you now to recognize the bread of life has broken his body on your behalf so you could have eternal life by trusting in him. Would you do that? And if you know the Savior, maybe you've filled your life with busyness and it's barren you get got plenty to do, but when you're alone, your heart, it aches. Or, or maybe you've sought to soothe the trials in life not by, not by eating of the bread of life, but by eating of the pleasures or the things of this world, your own appetites. As you make this morning a morning of confession. As you turn to and trust in him who gave his life for you. Our Savior comes to the poor, the downtrodden. Those who are willing to say, "I need you," would you stand with us as we sing this final song? Make your way to the back. We'd love to pray with you over anything that you touching.